Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You know what I want? <laughs> Not Samsung, Greg. Not Samsung. Not what? Not Samsung. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Raptors Weekly Podcast. Not even pull up Trey. This is a return of sorts. I haven't done a weekly podcast in some time. Uh, I'm Samson Folk. I'm joined by Lewis Zatzman. The Raptors are currently checking my watch. One and two. The defense, tremendous. The offense, not so great. Grady Dick has his first huge game. You can go to RaptorsRepublic.com for coverage of it. Or the YouTube channel for coverage of it. Scotty Barnes has been tremendous to start the season. Coverage both on the YouTube channel and on the website. Of course, things are moving in the right direction. The big things are moving in the right direction, I think, for the Raptors. The future. And some things are kind of stuck in place, both from an ideological standpoint and from like an actual process standpoint. Louis Zassman, my dear friend, how, how are you doing? How do you feel about basketball right now? I'm doing wonderful, man. Thank you. It's uh, I always love podcasting with you. It's so much fun, um, and just seeing you. But uh, yeah, I'm doing good. I I for the first time in a long time was really excited for the start of the season. Um, you know, jobs are jobs, and but this year I just I was I was giddy for the start of basketball, and I feel like the lessons from these first three games have been. I've been itching to write pieces that I've been holding off on because, you know, you want a sample size and you don't want to, you know, prematurely write all the pieces that you need to save for the rest of the year. But it's been awesome. I mean, right, one and two and some some bad losses. So, well, one terrible loss. So on one hand, the basketball has had uh, some some downs. But in terms of what we're learning, man, tremendous stuff. I think it's been, yeah, super instructive. This is a team that... We were theorizing because it's a change of the guard, both in that, you know, Fred Van Vliet is no longer going to have 86 touches a game. Surprisingly, Dennis Schroeder has 86 touches a game now. Like, it's a complete, it wasn't like a role shift. It's like he stepped into the exact same role that Fred was occupying and has done, like, people should be really happy with what Dennis has done so far. Um, They can have qualms with the offense overall, but I think really happy with Dennis. the role, we'll see how it shapes up over time. This team is supposed to be like in motion, changing, and they are, but not with a ton of success in what they're supposed to change. The Raptors' defense to finish last season was tremendous. Really, really good. Top five, I believe, over since getting Jakob Pertl. The defense has been, to start this season, tremendous. The Raptors' yeah. offense to finish last season, really strong finish. To start this season, Things are changing. It's been tough on that end. But you have to be able to look at a team that got younger, look at a team that, for all the penny pinchers out there, is saving money because of the decision they made and has kept the 
biggest strengths of their team. They've kept them. That's a huge win. And also, they've moved more possessions into the hands of Scotty Barnes, who is averaging, if, if I remember correctly, about 40 points, 18 rebounds, and 26 assists per game. He's been awesome. Let's, let's start there. Scotty Barnes, what the start of this season and his style of play kind of means for his future in the Raptors. Scotty Barnes has gotten better in virtually every area of the game. I think... His leap, if this is to be maintained, which I think is unlikely just considering how preposterously good he's been, Mm -hmm. um, I think he'll improve certainly from last year, but at this level would be very tough to keep up. But even given that, it's just been unbelievable and it makes the entire conception of the future that much more positive. And so I just want to give a couple, um, break it down into a couple more specific categories. Defensively, I've really, really liked his um, his help Love from the it. weak side. Uh, his defense in space, you know, uh, rotating out to shooters. Uh, he's been, man, he, he's blocked at, at least one three a game, I believe. Um, he's been great around the rim. He's been phenomenal defensive rebounder, which he's been a great offensive rebounder. I think he stepped up on the glass. And I think he's even been better moving his feet against guards, particularly because the Raptors haven't asked him to do that 80 times a game. It's more been more like 20 end of clock situations. And so it's a lighter load and he's done better on a per possession basis, given the lighter load against guards. So defensively is just, man, not that's a home run, right? That improvement there. And that to me, that is the most maintainable of all the improvements. Offensively. Think- go ahead. No, please. I was just, I was trying to, I thought there was space. I thought it was coming back to me, but go ahead. Um, Offensively, I have been dumbfounded by his uh, control of the game. Last year, and you've said this, I'm actually paraphrasing you. The Raptors rolled the ball out, ran no plays for Scotty and said, figure it out, right? And he by and large found a lot of ways to impact the game, but but, you know, faded into the background for long stretches. And he has not done any of that this year. He has consistently found a way to impact the game. On ball, off ball, he's been terrific running handoffs. He set heavier screens. The shooting, which I think is the most likely to sort of regress a little bit negatively, has been phenomenal. His mid-range jumper has been really in control. It's going in, that's awesome. But he, it's just much more balanced and calm. Um, the finishing is being, it's just, and, and the one thing that people would point to is the turnovers. I'm happy with the turnovers. It means he's trying stuff. He's empowered. And, and the one stat I would point to is yes, his turnovers have been high, but on off the team is committing 2.9% fewer turnovers with him on the court versus off. And you saw that a lot with high turnover guys like Steve Nash, um, Steph Curry, Guys who just try stuff and commit a lot of turnovers. But if they're so in control of the offense, the team commits more turnovers when they're on the bench. And so they're actually limiting turnovers with their control. And Scotty Barnes has been doing that. I've just been, it's been insanely positive to the extent that if you have a shooting guard playing shooting guard rather than Pascal Siakam, you know, if you have, you know, better bench pieces running alongside him, if you have just a much more, uh, complimentary team, 
I really see the vision for success already just based on his individual play. Which is, that is all anybody could ask for is that Scotty by himself provides a vision. This was, and I don't want to, there are people who said this, who held fast and never wavered on this and said, yep. Scotty's the future. Credit to everybody who like didn't move on that and said, I see what it's going to be. Yep. The start of the season is the most definitive return and, and by some measure. The stuff that will regress, like shooting 75% on his long mid-range jumpers, he's not going to stick around. Maybe he doesn't shoot 36% from three on the types of threes he's taking. Yeah. He's shooting 40% above the break. This would be unprecedented, basically. But that doesn't mean this isn't sustainable offense to some degree. I think the fact that he's shooting well on those is that he's helping save the offense in some regards for stretches because the offense is failing to create easy looks for the wings. And Scotty, as you say, taking on some more guard possessions, taking doing classical big stuff. This is a guy who has a foot in both camps and is succeeding in each. I think he's been super impressive, melding together the best aspects of his game, while also trying to like swim a bit farther out past the buoys to see what type of yeah. creation am I capable of. His, you can see, like it comes the same way it does for a lot of players who aren't like Demar Derozan, uh, who just like scores a little bit every quarter and has one big quarter and then he has twenty eight. Like Scotty is a guy who he's gonna have a couple big stretches in the game when he identifies what he's trying to do. What he's done a really good job of, as you say, taking care of his own usage, being the author of it, pushing the ball after rebounds, making sure that like he's always present, making sure that he's always playing a role in the half court. It's really assertive. And it's not to the point of like domination of the ball that, no. you know, puts other players in a bad position. It's not to the point where he's forcing things like he's forcing things a little bit in the way that a prospective star should. The yeah, decision making, I think the decision making, I think, has been tremendous. There's been, you know, a few turnovers. Most of these turnovers are trying to make something dangerous and good happen. Yeah, that's that's a big benefit. Guys who have these milk toast turnovers really bad. You got to risk something if you're going to turn the ball over. Scotty's willing to risk it. He's willing to take shots. This was the big thing about any Ben Simmons comp is like Scotty Barnes has none of the qualms that Ben Simmons has ever had about his own game. He will take that step further. And as far as like the per game points, I'm not somebody certainly who will try and dunk on people on Twitter. I don't engage in the discourse that way. But I put out my Scotty stat line prediction. It was just shy of 19 points. It was like seven boards, just shy of six assists, one steal, one block, basically. Well, everybody decided to put their noses up and start calling me an idiot. And I was like, is this that crazy? This is like, as far as like stocks and points responsible for, this is less than what Ben Simmons' output was in his rookie season. And then you go look at the stuff now, like Scotty's playing lower in the defense. The blocks are there. Now, maybe the steals aren't, but he's getting so much more of the ball. And doing so much more with it that, like, yes, it seems perfectly plausible that he could get to those numbers. So, to anybody who wants to dunk on me, man, Scotty's dunking on you. If you Here's come the at thing. the king, you best not miss. And Scotty's the king in this example, for what it's worth. You're doubt you're doubting this guy. He's he's been awesome to start. Just like an absolute joy to watch. And also on top of that, right? Like, is is fifty six percent from the field the type of stuff you like? Because it's the type of stuff yeah. I like. His touch has been really great all over the floor. Um, 
I've been so impressed with Scotty. He he is, is a, a bright spot among bright spots. Small sample size theater. Um, in terms of uh, percentile ranks on cleaning the glass right now, because a lot of guys just passed 100 minutes last night. And so there's some silly percentile ranks. So this is not oh, real, but it's fun. Oh, we've got 100 in there. Scotty Barnes, 100th percentile points per shot attempt, 100th percentile on assist rate for his position, and 100th percentile on assist per usage rate for his position. Zeroth percentile for turnover rate. How absurdly fun is that? 100, 100, 100, 0. I love that, man. He is as polarized as the team he plays for, I suppose. There you go. I... Made in his image, which is the idea. Certainly. Something we should talk about now. We've gotten all the Scotty stuff. Scotty is helping save the offense game to game. Yeah. He, he is the biggest motivator of their success game to game. Three games in. Um, yep. offensively, I should say defensively, they've got a lot of great pieces doing a lot of great things. Who is most emblematic of the offensive struggles? I think is too many possessions for the guards, a lack of touches that are meaningful for Pascal Siakam. Obviously it reaches a fever pitch after he takes only eight shot attempts against Philly. Yep. Some of that is Philly's game plan. Philly's doubling when Pascal gets the the matchup that he wants. He has to pass the ball out. The Raptors in this game, they shot well from three. A couple of those came after Pascal passed out of doubles. That's good. But eight shots on the whole, and the fact that, like, Precious is taking more shots, Dennis is taking more shots, Gary's taking more shots, these are not, like, this is not efficient basketball either. Pascal disappointed last night. He has to be able to input himself a little bit more aggressively to be sure. But we also can't ignore that, and this is something I talked about the whole preseason. This is something I wondered about prior to the season. This is an offense that clearly isn't able to create easy looks for its wings, at least so far. This was an expected hurdle. Scotty, and for what it's worth, Scotty, a lot of those points, it helps that he shoots 75% on his long mid-range jumpers. It helps that he's shooting 40% on above the break threes. It helps that he's getting so much in transition and playing as a big next to like Dennis that he can roll or Gary that he can roll. Pascal is not doing all of this stuff. Scotty's doing that stuff. Pascal also isn't taking a ton of the possessions that Dennis or Gary would be using that get him going downhill. It seems few and far between and mostly that Pascal is getting the ball above the break and being told like, shoot it create from a standstill against a packed defense once again, but try not to like hold on to the ball too long because we're playing differently this year. I think he could he could be better to this point. It's He's shooting 40% from three, which great. That's good at the very least. But as far as like the in-between game that rose him to all NBA status, hasn't really been present. Like it's Gone. been fleeting. Um, he's like taking no long mid-range jumpers. His touch on the short mid-range jumpers has been less than stellar, obviously. And he hasn't created a look for himself at the rim yet this year, basically. Yeah. Is this, when you see this, because there's going to be two camps, there's going to be one camp that says, I can't believe how they're using Pascal. And there's going to be another camp that says, what is Pascal doing? Which side do you fall on? Well, those aren't mutually exclusive. I, I think... in the way that they're viewed from the camps, they... Right. Yeah. 
So I'm going to uh, remember that Always Sunny episode where they went to the uh, the protest and Dennis got caught on the fence and got egged from both sides. Yeah, let's let's try that right now. <laughs> it's funny so, because I made an Always Sunny joke when I saw Pascal. He did the tunnel walk and he was chewing yeah. gum. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Move. Head cow always is always grazing. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, go ahead. So I think Pascal definitely has a lot he could um, do differently, but it seems to me like he is doing what the coach is asking of him, which I don't think this is a charitable reading. I, I, I think this is an informed reading is that he has always done what the coach has asked, asked of him. Mm -hmm. For different years, that's been different things. Um, I think for two years, the Raptors said, Pascal, save us. He saved them, and then he got rewarded by being called selfish. Uh, I think they've really been extremely um, bizarre about how they have handled his role on the team the last few years. That being said, there's a lot of room to assert yourself. Scotty Barnes is taking that room, yep. and Pascal's not. That's not on the coach, right? It, it's, it's up to you how you play within the offense. And so... I think the numbers are actually extremely telling. So right now, Pascal Siakam has the for on second spectrum they divide all actions into four categories: picks, post ups, handoffs, and isolations. Um, the most efficient uh, points per chance for any action over five attempts total is Pascal Siakam in the post. That's 1.6 repeating points per chance, uh, which which um, is huge, enormous. Pascal Siakam was one of the best post players in the league last year. He has, for a long time, that's been Toronto's best half-court offense is Pascal Siakam post-up. He's had six post-ups through three games. That's an enormous drop-off. I don't understand. Well, I do understand, but I, I think it is intentionally post -ups are leaving... Slow. Yeah, it's intentionally leaving meat on the bone to not put Pascal in the post. That is, to me, where his best playmaking comes from as well, that sort of slow surveying. Uh, looking at the team-wide numbers is also really revealing. So uh, pick and roll is virtually the same last year, this year, in terms of frequency, but between 63 and 66 um, per 100 possessions. From last year to this year, the handoffs per 100 possessions have increased by about um, eight. Uh, the isolations decreased by about five, and the post-ups decreased by about four. So that's where all the change come, came from. You took away post-ups, isolations, gave it to handoffs. The post-ups were Toronto's only good offense last year. Like, that was 1.05 points per chance. It was a lead for Pascal, for OG, for... Scotty, uh, they're gone. They're not really doing any post-ups. Uh, another if elite efficiency post-up this year, or uh, action this year, Scotty Barnes in the post. He has had only five of them, right? And, and a lot of those have been created entirely by him by setting a screen, dragging a mismatch into the post. And, and that's asserting yourself inside an offense not built for post-ups, right? That's where Scotty has really thrived, and Pascal hasn't done that. Um, I think the Raptors are intentionally limiting Scott, or Pascal Siakam's uh, contributions to the team. 
And they're doing that building for the future. I mean, I even asked Darko about this. I asked two questions, right? I said, you are getting better offense when Pascal just plays slow static offense than with your handoff stuff. So why are you limiting his, his looks? And basically is like, you know, it's for the good of the team. We want to get the ball moving. It was more stock stuff. I said, okay, so it's not about Pascal. It's about the team. He said, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And then he complimented Pascal. And so it's about the team in the long term is why they're doing this. But in the short term, there are a lot of losses. And you saw in the first quarter against Philadelphia, Pascal Siakam's contributions, he set like a snug pick and roll, ghosted it, sprinted out to the three-point line, and hit a movement three. It's like, if that's what you're asking Pascal Siakam to do, just play Grady Dick. Like, they didn't want him on the team. They had no plans for him to be on this roster with Darko as the coach. They should have traded him. Like, this is absurd to ask your all-NBA player to play shooting guard when that is not his strength, to not play to his strengths. It's not fair to him. And again, he is also not helping himself, right? There's there's blame to go around here. But uh, for all the positive about Scotty Barnes and how he's been, there's a lot of negative and a lot of sort of missing contributions from the team's best player. Yeah, and so the downside, obviously, is a few things. For the people who are transaction-pilled, I see a lot of people respond to, like, you and I, we tweet out our thoughts, we discuss the game, people respond to them. I see a lot of people, when I talk about Pascal, talk about they're tanking his trade value. This is bad. They want to maximize the asset, right? That is the view of a lot of fans, and you're correct. This hurts Pascal's trade value. This hurts the Raptors' ability to get stuff back for him in the trade market, and it may end up costing Pascal a decent chunk of money. Certainly, he, yeah. he if he plays like this, he guarantees that there's no all NBA selection. The the extra ninety three potential ninety three million dollar kicker that's not there. But if there's a team that just won't let a player do what he's best at and has been proven being best at and has provided good offense doing, if you won't let him do that and you make him lean into the weakest part of his game as a subject of the offense, um, we're going to see a dip in points, we're going to see a dip in production, and we're probably going to see a dip in pay. Now, am I cynical enough to be like intentional, intentional, intentional? No, I think that the Raptors are probably, they want to build habits for what, what the future is, as you said. And the person who is... who is sacrificed as a result of that pascal like i think they're they know what's happening to pascal they clearly understand it and they say that's fine but they have they have other intentions it's not just like oh we're gonna put pascal in a tough spot it's like pascal's in a tough spot because of what we're trying to do and build out i've i've heard of teams that are going to stop doing some of the movement-based defensive rotations that we consider to be good defense this season. And you know why? Because they want to instill better principles so that guys are stickier at the point of attack. Like teams do want to instill certain things and they're willing to take certain reduced efficiencies uh, to do so. The Raptors when are the taking... Milwaukee Bucks, sorry, when the Milwaukee Bucks won the championship, mm-hmm. they spent the entire regular season intentionally sabotaging their win record to a small extent, because they wanted to have other packages available. Denver Nuggets did the same thing last year with their defense. They, I mean, good teams do this. So 
I understand why the Raptors are doing this. Good teams do this. Yeah, it's just Pascal Siakam's game and likely all-star status will be the casualty of this switch. Yeah. And that doesn't mean Pascal's not an all-star for what it's yeah. worth. It just like players have skill sets. It is your job to as as a coach, as an organization, to build around elite skill sets if you have them. I Pascal's... still have some numbers that are really sure. interesting about Pascal this year. Uh to show that he's still I mean, he's still really good. So some on off numbers here that might surprise some people. Um Pascal Siakam Scotty Barnes this year. Um the offense with both the offensive rating, 109, elite. The offense with just Pascal, no Scotty, 102, very bad. The offense with just Scotty, no Pascal, 93.5, terrible. Pascal on, Scotty off is still better offensively than Scotty on, Pascal off. Interesting. Okay, another one for you Pascal and Yak. Pascal on, no Jakob, offense 109, elite. Both on, 105. So Jakob Pertl is getting a lot of post touches, a lot of handoff touches, a lot of elbow touches. That would be better serve going to Pascal. It just so happens they have a lot of bigs. Defensively, you need to play Jakob. I get it. But there's a lot of structural elements that are limiting Pascal beyond the offense itself. Last one, Pascal and Grady Dick both on. The offensive is 116. Uh, there are ways you can make this offense elite, I think. Uh, I, I, I think there's a lot elite. of meat on the bone. I disagree with elite. Oh, sorry. Elite, wrong. That was the wrong word. You're correct to disagree <laughs> with that. There are ways you can improve this offense dramatically. Um, so, and I think they're going to get I wanna, there eventually. I'm going to butt in and say that something that was really illustrative about watching all of scotty's possessions right from from last season and kind of trying to track everything was looking at that number that the scotty pascal pick and roll was massive huge numbers and it is because the pick and roll is a means to get a guy downhill it's a means to drag the defense somewhere but it's also a means to get a switch in shifting so many of these handoffs and touches to Jakob, you're getting less switches you're able to mismatch Hunt less. And I know that's what they want to do, but that's an, a clear advantage for this roster. And Pascal is a guy who that is getting less touches than last year, is getting them in less advantageous positions. And this roster, because of their earnest attempts to move into a different system, that system is leaving the wings behind and putting the ball in the hands of Jakob Pertl, Dennis Schroeder, and Gary Trent Jr., you can say they're instilling principles. You can say all this kind of stuff. But I I understand people look at the terrible offense early and say it's a new coach, new system, all this kind of stuff. Honestly, yes, but they should still be critiqued because other teams have new coaches too. Other teams have new players. And the Raptors, as far as like the guys they're playing, they actually have a ton of carryover from last season, especially since... Dennis has been such like a tremendous facsimile of what uh, Fred was last year. And he's better defensively, right? So it's just like, we have to be able to critique a team that has been just like terrible offensively. And one that is ignoring some of the skill sets that have driven successful offense in the past, regardless of designed systems. Because 
any coach will tell you, and it's the reason why Greg Popovich, when he got well, Marcus Aldridge and DeMar DeRozan, he didn't tell them to play the beautiful game Spurs. You, you can do system stuff, certainly. But also, there has to be countenance for like the skill sets on the roster and the capabilities of those. It's and rubber meeting the road. It's interesting. And that's why Pascal Siakam, if you're going to do this, just shouldn't be on the roster. There are ways to make it work better. For example, do you know who is the most efficient handoff setter on the team right now? Pascal Siakam. When Pascal Siakam is the one giving the handoffs, the Raptors are scoring 1.07 points per chance. When it's Jakob Pertl, it's 0.867. When it's Scotty Barnes, it's 0.778. And when it's Precious Achua, it's 0.7. Those other three guys, they have all had a much higher rate of handoffs as the setter than Pascal Siakam. They're, they're intentionally leaving a lot of points on the scoreboard right now. And, and part it's like, well, if you're wanting to do the handoff stuff, the elbow stuff, give Pascal the ball in the elbow. They're not doing that. It's yeah. just, yeah, it's... it's um, it, it is weird to see, like, yeah. you know, you don't want to dive too much into comments that are there in the preseason and say, like, you know, it's kind of odd. He hasn't mentioned Pascal, and he's brought up Precious as a post-hub. But then you yeah. see like the the automatics that they go to like they run their initial set they're they're looking for like this homing beacon for either like if Precious is on the floor get it back to him bring the guard out of the corner for a handoff if it's Jakob you know whatever bring the guard out of the corner for the handoff a lot of like the automatics the really easy like okay this is what we revert back to this is what we're running through for this offense yeah. it goes into the hands of bigs and guards and Scotty and Pascal, as we said, Pascal deserves a little blame for not inputting himself as as an All NBA player. There's more room for him to do it, um, and, and Scotty is showing that like it's definitely possible to mine advantages out of nothing. And like, yeah. it's pretty cool to see the third year player doing it. Um, and it's it's disappointing to see Pascal not doing it. But there's no question the offense is just leaving stuff on the table and moving so much of the possessions into the hands of Jakob Pertl, Dennis Schroeder, and Gary Trent Jr. Um, regardless of like reverence for the system, the ethos um, is probably not prudent. Uh, I want to talk about defense. I feel like we've yeah. discussed the Pascal thing roundly. The defense has been tremendous. Now, I'll ask you a question quickly. I looked at last night's game. I thought the Raptors tried a lot of different things at the point of attack against Tyrese Maxey. And despite Maxi going off, I thought Schroeder was really sticky at the point yeah. of attack. I thought Schroeder did a really good job. Um, he got crushed on some of those the backcourt screens that Embiid set. The one, I think it took him like three seconds to like, he caught it shoulder on shoulder was like, holy smokes, man. Got back into the play. He was getting beat up and he was still like getting out in front of the screen, sidling guys. And so Maxi was just incredible. And the Raptors also showed bodies to Embiid really early. He saw a lot, and Embiid was hitting step-back jumpers. He hit, like, I think, what, like maybe eight? Eight jumpers yeah. in that game? And none of them easy. The three-point shots, like, difficult looks. There's always a hand in the face. The mid-range jumpers, yes, I get he's, like, one of the best mid-range shooting bigs ever. But good contests. Sometimes shot-making beats you. And, the, yep. and their defense was good enough if their offense would have been better. 
but they just when it comes down to shot making over top Tyrese Maxey sprinting off of a screen with the throw ahead dribble and making like a fading to the side 26 footer hey man sometimes that's when they try and trap the double drag really high up the floor maybe Scotty gets like too wide but Tyrese just comes around the edge splits it goes all the way to the rim for this scooping left hand layup it's like this is just better offense than good defense and We've seen so far this season that Tyrese Maxey is certainly capable of doing so. We've seen it in the past as well. But we've also seen that Joel Embiid's an MVP. This is who they're playing, even if James Harden isn't out there. All this to say, did you think the defense was good? <laughs> yeah. No, I, I thought that was the hardest. How many did Maxey end up with? 30? Like 37 or something? 37? Yeah. That was the hardest 30-point game he's had against the Raptors. Like, we've oh, yeah. seen him explode against Toronto with ease before like Fred Van Vliet um that might have been the hardest the least conducive matchup of Van Vliet's career in the last season and a half of him as a Raptor Schroeder was better by several margins orders of magnitude he was just yeah it it was I I was so impressed by by Schroeder I I thought Jakob Pertl um gave ground a little bit too easily uh, he didn't meet Embiid high enough. Um, I thought Barnes... Precious was, was better at that initially. Precious was better. I thought... Bar- Precious... I love Precious's game, man. Like, yeah, he missed a bunch of dunks. But, oh boy, he played fun stuff. He was he was creating efficient looks, which how many guys on Toronto can do that? Anyway, um, I was really, really impressed with Precious's game, as I have been with his whole season so far. But... Um, uh, Barnes, I thought, was doubling Embiid from very visible angles. Uh, he was taking sight lines that were really easy for Embiid to read. And I think a lot of the the um, the Embiid struggles against doubles things is when you get him with his back turned, and the Raptors weren't doing that at all. So they weren't forcing the high turnover game from Embiid that you sort of need if you're going to show doubles. Um, I also thought Siakam fell asleep a couple times um off ball against uh Oubre cuts so there were like elements of of you know of weaknesses but this is a regular season game yep there's gonna be weaknesses like you don't get a week to prepare for one opponent it's a back-to-back with travel in between I think by and large I really liked how the defense um was structurally I I think Darko um as an offensive like an ATO blob slob coach um I had I I I'd like to see more. Um, defensively, I've been really impressed with his packages, um, his his willingness to change. Uh, I think he's been awesome as a defensive coach, which is um, James, who's their defensive assistant? The the Raptors? Yeah. Oh, um, is, are we talking about Pat Delaney? Yeah, Pat Delaney. Pat yeah. Delaney, James Wade, Jama Malela. Those are the, the top assistants. So Jama's the offense, I believe. Yeah, because um, they actually have like offensive defensive coordinators, which is uncommon. I guess, but yeah. Um, yeah, I I think the defense was as far as regular season game against the reigning MVP, pretty much as good as you're gonna expect. Yeah, and like a thing too is yes, Pascal. You know what the he fell asleep, and it's because what the 76ers did was they like confused like the what the Raptors are throwing at them because the Raptors are trying to. When defensively, you're trying to like sit in the gaps, 
sometimes your check can get a little bit confused because you're when you're sitting in the gaps, you're effectively zoning up. And when everyone yeah. starts zoning up, and then you have to revert back to man when everybody's cutting because you're gapping Joel Embiid. You're not playing a gap yeah. as in I'm the bottom right in a 2-3. That's right. You're gapping in proximity to Embiid. And the 76ers did a really good job of moving Embiid higher up the floor on his post entry so that the Raptors couldn't send those disguised doubles at him. Like catching in the Shifting middle of the, the floor and, and also like catching higher on the wing meant that you know, Embiid had a better look at the defense instead of, you know, yeah. some of the times where you can bring a guy from really low from behind a guy. Like classic Kyle Lowry comes from the baseline dig. It's tread too. The the 76ers did a really good job of navigating that stuff. But on the whole, I think that the Raptors had a ton of positive positivity and optimism for their defense mm -hmm. after the first two games because it was incredible through two games. And while it wasn't incredible last night, I thought that it was by far their toughest opponent and that tough opponent was unbelievable from the shot making side of things like these guys mb hardly went to the free throw line that's instructive he didn't put a lot of pressure on the raptors because they played in the gaps and they made him a shooter and if mb is going to shoot like 60 percent on jump shots against you then you know them's the breaks if tyrese maxi is going to shoot 60 percent on jump shots against you you're just not going to beat that team i asked nick about it before the game like You've coached against Tyrese when he's burned this house down, you know? How do you feel about maybe coaching him through another performance like that on the other side? And he mentioned, well, you know, in the past, we'd been focused on Joel. We'd been focused on Harden, and Tyrese kind of found his way in. It's like, no, Tyrese was everything last night. Yeah. He, he took every yeah. counter in stride and just hit shots against it. This team, the defense still looked good to me. And the defense overall, very impressed so far. Given the personnel, how Dennis has been engaged, his sticking to the point of attack, Scotty Barnes' leap, and the structural qualities that the team is asking of them, I feel fairly confident we're looking at a top 6-7 defense by the end yep. of the year. I've yep. been – and you were, you were saying top 5 possible – the top end in, in your outside looking in series top 10 is almost is quite likely. Uh, I think, and I agreed with that then I think the likelihood of that being correct is much higher now with a couple games in the, in the book. Um, I'm really impressed with what I'm seeing from Toronto. It's uh, the ceiling is the roof. The yeah. ceiling is the ceiling. Like if everything broke, right. Um, they could be top two. I like, yeah. there's a lot of good stuff here. And and not, not even to mention that they didn't have OG last night, right? And That's a big right. part of the collapse against the Bulls was not having OG either. That's right. And this is, this is a very impressive team. I think that also, I think we've discussed maybe enough defense. We can talk about rotation decisions. Unless, wait, quickly I'll check in. Do you want to, do you have any more defense talking points? I guess I would say that Pascal is guarding really high up in the floor. And for I like I live stream after these games. So I see comments from fans like streaming in. I see the hot takes and I and I also see people suggesting that like Pascal's quitting on the team. A guy who's quitting on the team is not guarding like that, man. Pascal has been very engaged and he's also playing really tough matchups night to night. So um, he's playing I've the best been... defense of his career. Like he's hit this level before on several occasions. Um, and it slips when his legs slip, but he's, I mean, he, I've been unbelievably impressed. He's doing that thing 
replays above the break, switches every action to stay above the break, guards six different guys with the ball, forces a pickup, kick out to the corner contested like air ball. He's done that several times. Like he he is there was a time where I thought Pascal was as defensively foundational to the team's identity as OG Ananobi. Now that didn't last forever, obviously, but that it's back. Like that's how he's looking defensively. You don't do that. If you quit on the team, you don't play like that. That's crazy. He, he's got a he's got a certain amount of gas in the gas tank. And for example, when he struggled in the bubble so much offensively, that was the best defense Pascal's ever played. He and like the metrics loved him as I think he was ranked as a top five defender in all of the playoffs that year. Um, he was a mammoth on that end. It's just it's too bad that his offense like well what happened with the bubble we don't have to relitigate it but basically we've seen Pascal at certain points in his career reach a really high level defensively and he's currently playing at or around that level it could be a bit underneath but like you see it's not a foggy picture of who that defender was it's like oh this is one of Pascal's better runs defensively it's only been three games but I'm sure everybody gets the gist he's been impressive um, rotation decisions. I talked to Darko before the game and I was like, hey, maybe there's an opportunity for Grady here based on the matchup. And then OG was a late scratch and suddenly it wasn't like, ooh, an interesting 14, 15 minute matchup. It was 28, almost 29 minutes from Grady. We saw Jalen McDaniels. He, he he wasn't the the sexy wing off the bench for Darko as he was in the first two games. Like Jalen got a lot of time that probably wasn't deserved over Chris Boucher at this point. How have you felt about the rotation decisions thus far? Yeah, I have no issue with the Raptors, at least seeing what they have in Jalen McDaniels. Um, But you're right. I mean, Chris Boucher is a better player. He just gives the Raptors more. Unless McDaniels gets hot from deep and cans a bunch of threes, which career-wise, that's not really what we should be expecting. Um, I just think Boucher gives more as a cutter, as a defender, um, as a finisher, and just a lower usage guy. Uh, I predicted that Grady Dick by January was going to be almost impossible to keep out of the rotation. Just because he gives you so much on offense that you don't really get elsewhere. I'm feeling even better about that prediction through three games. Like, I I think, yeah, there's... He won't be in the rotation for a bit. I think it's silly to expect him to be playing as many minutes, doing as much as he did against Philly, you know, right right out of the gate. But man, he is he is good. He's good alongside the best players. He had a, a missed three against Chicago, where he um oh, caught yeah, the ball in the corner. That... Yeah. 0.5 drive baseline, this little hanging um swing out to the, above the break immediately relocated to the other corner wide open three created by his left like a wide open three Toronto's not getting a lot of those wide open three from the corner Toronto's not getting a lot of those wide open three from the corner for their best shooter Toronto's not getting a lot of those a wide open three from the corner for their best shooter in which Pascal Siakam and Scotty Barnes neither of them has to do anything that's like you don't get that and and Grady does that with his legs, with his decisions, and with his immediate reads. And it's just, you need that in the offense. 
especially this offense. And so I've been um, not upset about how little he's played, but I think he will be playing more as the season goes on. This isn't Shane Battier in the corner. This isn't side-top-side action finding a shooter. This isn't OG Ananobi in his rookie year. This isn't like a guy stationed somewhere and the ball funnels to him. This is rampant, maniacal pursuance of space. Yeah. A pursuit yeah. of space. And that's what Grady Dick does. And he's got, you know, the hammer at the end of the action. Like, I'm going to smash this thing. I, I love the way he plays. Um, I talk about Jalen Williams on the Oklahoma City Thunder as a guy who plays perfect basketball. He really does. He cuts the perfect time every possession. He finishes possessions. He's a guard who can roll. He's a guard who can finish at the bucket through contact. He hits threes. He has like these self-creation chops. Grady doesn't have all of that. But those two guys, as far as like decision-making, I'm reading the floor. I know when to drag a guy in as a cutter. I know when to pop out. I'm hellacious pursuing space and have a great idea. Like they just map the court out and pursue something. Grady is so special the way he reads the floor. It, and he's not going to shoot four for six from three every night. Certainly not, but if he, if Grady, Grady could be like a 36% three-point shooter in his career and still be an amazingly effective shooter. And also we'll see what happens with the other burgeoning skills as like a second side creator, but he's not going to be a 36% three-point shooter. He's going to be better than that. And he's a guy who can come into the game. You can run plays for him. They did. They ran a staggered center of the corner. Kelly Oubre Jr. tries to shoot the gap. Guess what? He's stopping short. He's going to let the ball travel to him. He's going to hit a shot. They are running that step-up screen for Precious Achua in transition. Well, not in transition. They're running a step-up screen for Precious. Danny Green steps up from the corner because they can't give him a head of steam, you know, coming from 28 feet towards Joel Embiid. That means Joel Embiid is in a zone position for the rim and Grady in the corner. Grady is in the corner. Easy. Catch high, keep high. Hits a moonshot over top of a closeout Joel Embiid. It, this is a guy who can hit the, the shots that come to his hands, but this is a guy who can hit lots of different shots. We saw him, they run a Chicago action for him out of the corner, right? Malachi comes off Precious, yeah. Grady runs up, he just pulled shoulder to shoulder perfectly off of Precious, and it's a throw-ahead dribble into space. He knows where the defenders are, gets into it to get his rhythm. Kelly Oubre Jr. is digging down like four inches from the ball. Joel Embiid is stepping up and drop, and... Grady rises up and hits over top of these guys. Very special player. The good things about his game that people saw in college at Kansas, um, they're translating and they're undeniable. It's hard to be like an off-ball guy and to pop when you're not hitting shots. But Grady was, and of course he's popping the hell off when they're going in. Love his game. When you're a, when you're a shooter, it's really hard to get more shots. Yes. OG Ananobi has seen that a lot. The Raptors want him shooting through. If he could take 23s a game, yes. Toronto would be on their knees thanking God. But he, it's hard to find those threes for shooters. Grady Dick is creating those threes on his own. That's so valuable. So, you know, um, really happy with him. But other rotation stuff, um, I'm really happy to see Precious Chua playing a lot, getting his chances. I wrote, you know, before the season, the Toronto needs to see what they have in him. I think by and large, a nucleus of, of Scotty Barnes, Grady Dick, Precious Achua, you got something there. 
not this. You're not going to win oh, a title. Oh, baby, you got a stew going. Yeah. I mean, put a couple years in there, and then you got a stew going, right? Uh, but I, I like the rotations. I, I would prefer to see Pascal Siakam playing fewer minutes. He's sneakily right at the top of the league in minutes per game. Again, uh, I would like to see Dennis Schroeder playing um, fewer minutes, but Malachi Flynn has been difficult to offer impact, and so you need a point guard, and that's all they have. I think the Raptors desperately need to figure that out from a front office um, That's point also, of view. we mention, like, oh, hey, you know, there's an inordinate amount of possessions that have been taken out of Pascal's hands and gone towards Dennis and Gary in particular. That also, not necessarily from Pascal specifically, but Malachi just based on the automatics that the Raptors are running for their offense, it dictates that a guard be on the floor to move them through this stuff. And Malachi is the guard who's getting those minutes and those possessions. Malachi is going to hit threes, but the big yep. problem so far has been that Malachi doesn't hit enough threes. And you just talked about controlling volume and how hard it is. Malachi just, he, he at this volume would have to be like George Hill, 50% three-point shooting, right? Like, you would have to be, like, that type of player, and you don't have George Hill's defense to hang your hat on. If Malachi was able to give you massive volume as, like, that little guard who's just gunning, we see some of the best shooters in the NBA fall out of rotations. Guys like Bryn Forbes, who are small, yeah. and teams are able to close out, make them put the ball on the ground, and they just can't just keep shooting. Malachi isn't even that level of shooter. He needs to step up as a playmaker. He needs to step up as a driving threat, and he needs to be better defensively. And none of that has really happened. My fingers are crossed that it does, but the Raptors are playing him because of a structural need, and he isn't meeting the the moment, really. And his pick and rolls are giving you 0.286 points per chance. It's like he's just not doing anything with his yeah. pick and rolls. Um, there's, no, there's no danger. There's no there's danger nothing. in a Malachi possession. There's no nothing. The screen whiffs. He takes zero steps. He gives it up. Reset. It's just waste of shot clock. Uh, I do like the rotation choice Toronto's had with bringing Scotty out early to get Gary in with a little more shooting. Scotty back in with the bench. I've been loving those units. Um, I would like to see Otto Porter Jr. play with those units. I think Grady, Gary, Otto, Scotty. Someone else, whether it be a small, whether it be precious, whether it be Chris for someone alongside those four, baby, that could that group could score on offense. Like, but the, but the concept uh, that's nitpicking with the details. The concept, yep. Scotty plus bench to end quarters, love it. Big in on that. I think it hasn't um, impacted the scoreboard as much as I think it will long term on the season. Uh, the starters, I, if pleasantly winning Scotty... their minutes. Identifying Scotty as a guy who can carry bench units. Yeah. Um, it's it's not the Kyle Lowry comp, but just as a, a point, kind of is. we've seen we've seen how important it is to have a player like that on a roster because the Raptors didn't have an awesome bench all the time. They had yeah. Kyle Lowry. The Raptors didn't yeah. Yeah. Nick Nurse wasn't a genius designing offense all the time. They had Kyle, Kyle Lowry. Was. Um, having a guy like that who organizes everything so perfectly, um, certainly from a structural point of view, Scotty isn't able to do what Kyle does. But as far as like a, this guy might carry these lineups, 
that's massive. It allows you to swing, take swings at other types of players yeah. in the future. Yeah, and he's been doing so much. Like, he's been a handoff hub. Uh, you know, he's been a guard in transition. He had one play in the Minnesota game, I believe. Might have been in preseason. Where it was in that bench unit. He was dribbling the ball up the court. Sort of paused for a moment. Saw both corners filled with shooters. And the def- defenders were right up on him. Put his head down. Didn't even notice his primary defender. Just got to the rim, finished over top of him. It's just that type of stuff where he can be anything in transition in the half court. He's going to move the ball to where it needs to go. Really, really encouraging. It's just also like the on-offs are showing. Scotty is winning his minutes. It's just, I think, I, I there's a lot of small stuff to quibble with rotation-wise. But big picture, I, I like what I'm seeing. How, how about you? I There's... I'm glad to see Precious get a healthy amount of minutes. I thought that they, I thought that Grady wasn't like a no brainer for the first two games. I understood why he wasn't seeing a bunch. I certainly saw why he got a ton of minutes in Philadelphia and, or against Philadelphia, and he looked awesome. That's like pulling the lever at the right time. Well done. I've quibbled um, about, you know, I did at the start of, you know, kind of, approaching this question but like i've quibbled about jalen over chris um in the early going it's clearly chris has been better but we're three games in quibbling about a rotation over a three-game sample size it's it is whatever darko even said as much right like you know he he's wanting to give these guys a look he needs a little bit more time to see what happens but i'll say mostly and this is something i urged jalen mcdaniels he'll hit some threes that's what you yeah. have to hope for to see some threes go in, but he has to be better defensively than he has been um, over the duration. He's not as sticky at the point of attack as some people might have hoped, and he's not as um, error resistant in in help side as maybe some people would have hoped early on. Hoping to see that stuff become better, obviously, because there is a ton of potential in his game. And his point five stuff has been. Um, I haven't liked his balance of choices once he gets a touch. Yeah, it's Small. there's not much there's not much for him to do, and also we're seeing like the gripping reality of the the spacing, some of the slips to the rim, and some of the cuts that he was timing up in the preseason are not so much there anymore, and he has to respond to that new reality as well as like how do we how do we make this work on this team? So there's. For we want to talk about adjustment periods. Jalen McDaniels is one of the biggest on the team, and it's harder to make adjustments without possessions while you're on the floor than it is with them. And that's why, like Dennis, has made the adjustments on the fly. I think people should be happy with him so far. But also, like Jalen, um, I I didn't think he should be like a home run over Chris early on, but he has to keep getting looks. Obviously, gripping reality. What a phrase, man! I love that. <laughs> The gripping reality. Do you want to you want to head back to gripping reality? Get out of this podcast. You got any uh, final thoughts before we get out of here? I actually had a question I wanted to ask you, if you don't mind. Hell um, yeah! We talked a little bit about Schroeder. Um, I think I was a little higher on um, what he'd given, and you um, very astutely said, "Let's see what happens when he faces more adverse situations." 
And I thought that was really telling. Uh, I think he's faced some of those. And I was just curious, you know, given what we've seen in those three, these three games, the highs and lows on both ends, we talked about the defense uh, offensively. How would you um, value his contribution so far? Let's see what it is when he's not shooting 50% from three, I would say is a big thing. But um, I think that there's been a few possessions that if he was wearing a different jersey would look very familiar and would frustrate a lot of people. It This is a Raptors team that needs a certain amount of production from the guard spot. Dennis is a mid-level exception guard who's stepping in and taking more than most guards are expected to, that's good. There's an imbalance on the on the Raptors roster, like offensively right now, in where they want the ball to go. They haven't figured everything out yet. And despite shooting pretty poorly from the floor and making, there's been some tough decisions made from Dennis as far as like whose number is he calling on a possession. There's been that stuff. But overall, adverse positions, late game production, he's made some plays, man. He really has. There's mm-hmm. been some like some some like, oh, wow, you really took it there. Like maybe that wasn't for you. But on the whole, you step back after that three game sample and you say Dennis has done a pretty damn good job of moving the Raptors through their offense as limited as they are, um, because Dennis, it hasn't been that bad. It's mostly been bad in the interim. Like when Malachi comes on the floor, it's like terrible. Right. Yeah. Um, the Dennis stuff, when it's been good. I think it's been really good because we're just talking about offense. On defense, I think he's knocking it out of the park, man. Oh, um, yeah. Offensively, yeah. offensively, anybody who was expecting Dennis to be like this world beater of a point guard, you have 10 years of NBA basketball you're ignoring. And like you can't ignore it, but there, there's a track record here. I think he's been good. Good on offense, sublime on defense, which to me, yeah. for a mid-level exception guard, baby, you're, you're killing it. Good for Dennis. Can I give a quick number uh, to counterbalance the 50% from three? He's shooting 26.1% from two-point range. Um, He's missed some layups. He's missed all of his floaters. He's missed most of his pull-up twos. Last year, Fred Van Fleet shot 45.5 from two-point range, which was fairly bad, but 26.1 is significantly lower than that i think that's we're gonna that's gonna regress positively like that's gonna come up he's gonna make a few more layups he's gonna make a few more floaters and it's been beyond the pale and i think i have been encouraged at least by his ability to turn corners and get to the rim despite the gripping reality of toronto's offensive spacing problem there's been particularly on Gobert after getting past, I can't remember who was guarding him, but late in the game, it was on the right side of the basket. There was a really impressive drive where he just like slinked down into the lane. And I was like, wow, this is, you know, this is fantastic. The rim stuff, um, just as like the last two years, it's been Dennis has shot 56% at the rim, yeah, it's been 54% at the rim. Um, he, he Not shot 20% 40... though. Yeah, yeah, not 20%. That's like Dennis is probably going to shoot in the mid-50s from the rim this season, which isn't good, but it's like it's well enough because... If you get there on a really high volume for a team that doesn't get there, you can live with that, right? He won't won't get there on a really high volume, though. 
If but I mean higher than Toronto, higher than Fred, like it can be in higher than Fred, game. sure, yeah. And I like I think shooting fifty five percent at the rim for Dennis can can be a good thing for this offense, which is pessimistic, but yeah, yeah, fair enough. Um, I'm on the whole very happy with Dennis. I tweeted out, I was like, I think this guy has a chance to be the best free agent signing they've ever had. As crazy yeah, as, as crazy as that sounds, I firmly believe that. Like, yeah, I know some people quibble and say like, well, Jose Calderon was technically a free agent. Fred was technically a free agent. I get it. I'm NBA yeah. free agent, more or less, is what I mean. Yeah. Um, the Raptors don't have a good history of signing NBA free agents, one. But I, my initial reaction to the Dennis thing is recorded. He signed while Trey and I were on a live stream talking about Fred. And I was kind of like, hmm, what are they doing? I sat with it and I was like, I think they signed. I came out like, what, a day later? And I was like, I think they signed yeah. the best guard on the market and they got him for a mid-level exception. The signing is a good thing. I think he's been good. I've been happy with Dennis. Um, offensively, things to help. They, like, he needs help the same way that Pascal needs help. Dennis is being asked to do a lot. And this is a, a mid-level exception guard. Defensively, sublime. Big win there. Um, Raptors fans, after seeing uh, like tape that's been taped and untaped too long, Fred lose a fair amount of his stick <laughs> over time. Uh, like Dennis is coming in like just the, the most effective glue in the world, man. Like, pah! So yeah. very nice to see. Any, any other questions for me before we get out of here? No, that's all. I was curious to hear that. I think we're on the same page there. Same page, a lot of the time. We don't have Fred. We don't have Fred to um, create the contrast anymore. Yeah, we were on the two ends of what we've talked about this off air, but we were on the two ends of what we thought were reality. Then, sort of the the the, the conversation about Van Fleet just blew past us, <laughs> where the two of us were just way outside of the pale of how most people were discussing his game, to the extent that our disagreements became very much we were you know, allies uh, on the yeah. on the side of Van Fleet. But we, for a time there, we were sort of opposite ends of the spectrum, but whew, not uh, by the end. That's when the spectrum widens. Um, what used to be the ends suddenly seem very close, I think is like, that's right. That's kind of the, the way it works. But any parting shots before we get out here, Lewis? I'm just excited for more basketball. I've Like one and two, yes, but I've been loving the season. I've been loving analyzing a new team a new coach it's it's been super fun man it's been super fun i and i'm so lucky to have you as a teammate writing all the pieces together getting to do these podcasts it's a blast so yeah just i'm happy i'm excited i and my earnest hope and, and likewise by the way on the teammate bit but my earnest hope is that when stories maybe are running a little bit dry if the team isn't as good as some people think it is you know if the team is great and all this stuff hums. It's like a river of everybody wants to read, yep. listen, watch everything. But it's my earnest hope that um, if things don't go according to plan for the team, that the more um, in-depth dives that you and I in particular take on guys like Grady and Scotty and whoever kind of wows off the bench and Dennis, um, I think that I hope that those are more appreciated. And that maybe the the less hot takey stances and more rooted in basketball and like what's happening on the court stances are appreciated in the season as such. But then again, 
if things are if things are moving the right way, hell yeah, everything's easy. We're just talking basketball, yeah. everyone's happy. But you know, when things That's don't right. go bad, everyone fights about what the right way out is. And and people love fighting. So we'll see if we get a lot of that. Lewis, looking forward to more fights with you in the future. Listener, thank you for tuning in with us. It's been an absolute pleasure. And whether you got into this in the morning or at night, have a blessed day and goodbye.